Well, normally I'd tell you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, but you wouldn't be able to see them if you did. So Merry Christmas, glad that you're here. Let me give a shout out to the people sitting out in the atrium as well. We know that you're out there. Sorry that you can't make it in here precisely, but we're really glad that you're here. Well, I'm here to help you with your Christmas spirit, but it doesn't look like you need a lot of help because you got your spirit on, right? It's great to have you here. Well, before we jump into what I want to share with you this evening, I'm going to ask you if you would take a minute and pray with me. Would you do that? Let's ask the Father to bless this. Lord God, we come before you recognizing that everything that we're doing here has absolutely no purpose whatsoever if it doesn't bring glory and honor to you and if your Holy Spirit doesn't have power and authority here. So we invite that. We invite the freedom of your Holy Spirit to be our teacher and our guide. Speak to us, Father, that there's individuals here who need to encounter you this evening. Every one of us needs to be reminded of what you did for us. So we ask that in the midst of this, this in the midst of this singing and looking at your word, that you would guide us. And we pray for this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So the Christmas story, as we understand it, God just rips open the night sky. And in the midst of opening up the night sky, the darkness just kind of rolls back like a scroll. And the angels appear. And there's this symphony of voices unlike anything that's ever been heard on planet Earth. Now, I'm guessing you were a really, really beautiful baby, but I doubt that anybody saw angels singing inside the delivery room when you were born, right? This has only happened once. One time in all of world history, and we find it in Luke chapter 2, that God says he sent angels to announce the arrival, the greatest pronouncement in world history. God the Son leaves heaven and comes to earth and takes on the physical form of man. Scripture reflects that for us. We see that in John 1.14. It says specifically, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now let that sink in. God became Jesus. You get that right in your head and Christmas will change entirely for you, I promise when you have the right perspective. According to the Bible, God the Son humbled himself to become Jesus the man. What we're talking about is the incarnation, right? That's the way the Bible describes it. Absolutely profound humiliation for God to change in any degree whatsoever. Even for a short 33 years, for God to change in any form whatsoever is a condescension in a manner far beyond human comprehension, the creator takes the form of the created. So we understand the background of the story. We understand Mary and Joseph looking for a room in an inn. I'm not going to go there with you tonight. We understand that ancient story. They're they're looking for a place to stay. Where I wanna go for is Luke chapter two and verse eight, where the shepherds are at. Look with me on the screen at this. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. I really like the way the message says it. I don't know if you have a copy of the Bible called The Message, but look at the way the message writes this. It says, there were sheep herders camping in the neighborhood. All right? So these guys are not in an RV park, though, so get that thought out of your mind. Put yourself in their setting. They're not in an RV. They're not in the state park. They're in the wilderness, rocky terrain. And nighttime brings with it the really, really usual ritual of building a campfire. These guys have a specific job. Their responsibility is to take care of the sheep, 
hundreds of sheep resting on the hillside below them, except for an occasional bleat. It's becoming a silent night. Night just like any other night. And the stars are very sharp in the Middle Eastern sky. So the shepherds recline back on the hillside. Their eyes are constantly scanning the wilderness, watching to see if there's any predators. Below them is a village. And in that village, they can see the dim flickering light of candles in the windows. So the men on the slopes feel the chill of the cool night air, and they begin bringing their cloak up around their neck to try and shelter out the chill. They've done this night after night after night. Eventually, the shepherds' voices fall silent as well. It's a night just like any other night, except for one thing that's remarkably different about this. Now, we know that they're shepherds, so they're not about to let any of their flock escape. They're going to keep attention to them because these shepherds have a remarkable responsibility. They appear to be shepherds who are raising sheep for the sacrificial system. Luke chapter 2 makes it pretty clear that these guys are in the commodity business. They're watching over these sheep, so they're likely raising them to be sacrificed at the temple in Jerusalem. In the first century, understand, no one put shepherding on their list of high ambitions for their life. Nobody said, this is my goal for life. Nobody hangs out with shepherds. Nobody wants to be one when they grow up. Shepherding is absolutely despised. Fathers would not train their sons to become shepherds. Most of them were thought of as thieves. So we're told in verse 8 that they're out in the fields. That's where they live. Most of them spent the whole year outside, constantly with the sheep watching them graze, and sheep are vulnerable to all kinds of trouble because sheep don't roar, do they? Sheep don't have the teeth, they don't have the fangs, they don't intimidate anybody. No university in the world ever chose sheep as their mascot. Go sheep, right? Not gonna do it. Sheep are vulnerable. So we find shepherds watching sheep, keeping watch. It means they're doing guard dirty, church, guard duty. They've they've got this responsibility to make sure they don't escape. Here's what it means for them. It means they rarely make it to town. You go to town, you get fired. These guys have round-the-clock responsibilities, and that means they also rarely make it to church. They don't get to go worship with the other people because they're out there 24-7. See, these are the last people you would expect to play a major role in the Bible. They're considered social outcasts. Go forward with me into the text because what we're going to find here is in a micro moment, there's this explosion of light on the hillside and it floods it with this intense brightness. A million LED lamps could not match what they see. Initially, they're blinded. They can't see anything whatsoever. All they see is a shape in the midst of the brightness and a magnificent being appears. We call it an angel. Scripture says specifically an angel of the Lord. Luke 2 verse 9 says this, an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. So towering over the shepherds, yet immediately in front of them is this single form. A single form in the midst of brilliant light, what appears to be luminous armor. They can see through it, yet it glows brilliantly. We get a description of it, just a glimpse in Daniel chapter 10, verse six. Just look at this verse. If you've never seen a description of an angel before, pay close attention to this. 
His body also was like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. That means thunder, right? Sounds very intimidating when you understand what that is. And so we take it one more ramp further when it etches up to verse nine and it says not just the angel appeared, but it says this, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now notice, it's not the glory of the angels. It's the glory of the Lord. God's glory shining around them. How do you measure the brilliance of the glory of God? How do you understand this? Well, by looking at a couple of verses in Scripture so that you understand what's going on in this particular night. We see a description in Scripture that says in 1 Timothy 6.16, God dwells in unapproachable light. Matter of fact, it says this, God alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. The book of Revelation backs that up. It says when you look upon Jesus' face, the resurrected Jesus, it's so bright, it's like the noonday sun shining in its absolute brilliance. We're talking here about the radiance of God's own presence. That's the glory of the Lord shining around them. See, his presence is measured by more than just lumens and watts. We're talking about the glory of God, the absolute purity of a holy God The angels are just a reflection of that. So this unbearable brightness that you're learning about, it's called the Shekinah glory. You see it written about in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it surrounds the Ark of the Covenant. In the New Testament, it envelops Jesus in a robe of brilliance on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's the glory of the eternal God. So go further with me in the story, verse nine. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. Now somehow this Shekinah glory, this incredible brilliance of the eternal God completely surrounds them. There's no shadow. And the result is predictable, horrifying terror. Literally in the Greek language it reads fear with terrifying fear. The English language fails to describe what they're feeling in this moment. Matter of fact, you get one Greek word. I know it's Christmas, but just deal with me, okay? Bear with me. One Greek word, and the Greek word is this word, yira. And and it's a more accurate, accurate description than the English language because it says it's absolutely dreadful, exceedingly fearful. Like, wet your pants scared, right? You getting that? These guys are scared out of their wits. Notice. It's not just the angels that are putting them in panic mode. As awesome as they are, it's the glory of the Lord that scares them. They stand in the presence of the Shekinah glory, the presence of God Almighty. This kind of fear stems from one thing and one thing alone. When a situation is completely out of control, You're looking at individuals who feel that their world is being turned upside down. And when we fear like this, we believe our world is about to be torn apart. That's the kind of fear they're feeling. Fear comes in a lot of forms. It, It ranges from mild anxiety to absolute freaking terror. And we all have it to some degree. Some of us have gathered here tonight and we're afraid of terrorism. We're afraid of what the threat is to our world. We're afraid of economic instability. Some of us are really afraid of the political outcomes of this year. 
People are afraid of relationship issues, physical illness. There's a lot of fear represented in a massive group like this. But there's one fear that rises above them all and everybody lives with it and everybody deals with it. One fear that rises above everything else is the fear of not measuring up, the fear of falling short, of not being good enough, especially not good enough to stand in the presence of a holy God. That kind of fear scares the bejeebers out of you and it causes you to stay awake at night. It's the 2 a.m. kind of haunt, especially when it's reinforced by things like Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, Paul didn't need to write that. We all know we have sin, right? I mean, it's just there, it's obvious. Everybody has sin in their life. So scripture just kind of backs it up and echoes it by saying, we all fall short. That's the one that rises up within all of us. Here's what that means. It means we're not good enough on our own to stand before a holy God. It means we're not good enough to stand in his presence. It's the very reason most people don't like to talk about God things because it stimulates within them a fear a fear of not measuring up. Confronting God is fearful. So like any avoidable tension, we tend to push that one aside, thinking, well, I'll deal with it in the future. I'll deal with it in another time. Are you beginning to feel the gravity of this moment? You feel the gravity of the weight of what these guys are facing? If you right now are finding yourself strangely uncomfortable, like maybe you're thinking, do we really have to talk about this, Mark? It's Christmas Eve. Hang on. It's about to get happy, okay? There's reason to have joy. My Bible not only tells me that I fall short of the glory of God because I have sinned, but it also says this. There is no fear in love, 1 John 4, 18, but perfect love casts out fear. No fear? How is that possible? Well, if you belong to the one who is greater than all those fears, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me get back to the story. Let's jump back to where the angels are at. It's in the very moment when these men are most scared, a thunderous voice is heard, and it comes rushing up the hillside, echoing off the rocks. They're standing in the presence of this being, and this glowing being begins to speak with a soothing, yet a commanding voice, and he says this in verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, See, man recoils at the presence of God, right? But the angel breaks the news. The angel says there's no reason to fear. The purpose for which we're here doesn't include fear. Go, go back to the verse with me, Luke 2.10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. So instead of great fear, there's great joy. I love this word great in the Bible because it's my favorite word. It's the word megas, right? It's a Greek word, and it means insurmountable greatness. So it's not just joy, church. It's megas joy. And the angel says, I have megas joy for you because there's good news. So if I'm one of the shepherds in that moment, and I'm scared spitless, I'm thinking this way. 
I'm thinking, okay, go ahead and tell me, what is it? What is this good news? Because it's megas, and it's good, and it's for everyone, and I've been an outcast all my life. I need to know what you're talking about, angel. Do you notice that in verse 10? For all the people, all means all in the Bible. All doesn't mean just some, not just some people, not just some who've been good all their life, not just those who seem to have their act together. It means all. Everyone from Walmart to Wall Street, it includes everybody. It's available. So he goes on to say in verse 11, for all the people for today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior, an entire population that has known chaos across the globe, chaos politically, chaos economically, chaos militarily. I've got good news for you. Here's what I want you to notice. God does not send a military leader. God does not send a political leader. God sends a savior because my God knows what I need. Your God knows what you need. Thousands of years ago, an ancient Stoic philosopher wrote this quote that you're going to see on the screen. He said, while an emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from grief and envy. He cannot give peace of heart. See, only God can deal with that. Only God can deal with man's greatest problem. And the greatest problem we have is sin. And sin separates us from him. And that separation from God is the root of our greatest fear, church. And it's a vicious circle. Because that fear that we're separated from God, we know it's caused by sin. And the sin separates us. And because the sin separates us because of sin, we tell ourselves, he's not gonna accept me. He will not accept me. And that fear keeps us from coming to him. And we know it. Every single one of us know it. We know it down deep inside, whether or not we are willing to admit it in the daytime. Mentally, we understand it. And it's what haunts us at two in the morning. Do you find yourself there? Do you find yourself struggling with self-worth? Maybe you have a past full of brokenness. Maybe your mistakes are so big that you believe that God could not possibly mean you. It's for everybody else. It can't be for me. My past is too ugly. Then verse 11 is for you. Look with me on the screen. A Savior born for you. Two great church words. For you would you say for me together with me? One, two, three, for me. That's God's promise. The angel's saying it, it's for you. He's just the messenger communicating this. Catch this. God has not just sent information to deal with all this mess. He sends himself. Why? Because of what we saw in 1 John 4.18. Look with me again. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. I'm here to tell you tonight, perfect love has a name. And the name of perfect love is Jesus. That's perfect love. That perfect love, Jesus casts out all fear. Watch what the angel says, Luke 2.11, we're almost done. There has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. 
With the delivery of this news, the shining angel is done. He draws himself to full height, his wings raise to praise the one who sent him. And with the radiance of his being, the night sky reveals multitudes upon multitudes of legions of angels who fill the night sky because we see in verse 13, suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. Glowing beings giving a command performance and they shout, they shout like the roar of a great waterfall with one enormous voice, glory to God in the highest. I know my voice doesn't match theirs but that's as loud as I can shout. Glory to God in the highest, why? Because of what he's done. Ultimately, angels leave, right? Ultimately, angels leave. Ultimately, Christmas Eve services come to an end. And people have to respond. The, the shepherds had to respond. God put the invitation out there, and they've got to do something with it. Let me go back to what I just said a moment ago. God is so interested in a relationship with you, he didn't just send information he sent himself. The greatest gift in all the world is just waiting to be unwrapped. The only one capable of saving Mark Kring, the only one capable of saving you to take away your sin, came and he took that sin and he nailed it with himself to the cross and to give evidence that he beat sin and he beat death. He raised from the dead three days later. But that's another story for another time. I can't do, go there right now like I'd like to. If, if you tonight are expecting God to do one more thing, he's already done it all. He's already done everything. Here's what he's telling you. He's telling you, believe. God loves you and he wants to spend eternity with you. He wants you to spend eternity with him. All you have to do is receive what he's offering to you and don't wait until you feel good enough. Now some people are thinking right now, and I know this because I've talked to people who have echoed these thoughts to me. Mark, you have no idea of my past. You don't know the things that I've done. Hear me. It is not about your past, it's about your future. It's about what God does, not about what you did. It's about him and what he'll do for you. He is God. All things are possible with him. So you can believe what he has done. So do you sense a need right now to do business with God? It's absolutely your decision. Nobody's gonna force it upon you. Nobody's waiting in the parking lot to tackle you tonight. I promise you. This is up to you to talk to God. It's your decision. Have you believed? It is the most important decision you will make. So rather than you feeling like I've just coerced you into something, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray twice. I'm gonna pray for you right now. And if you wanna receive Jesus in just a few minutes, I'm gonna pray with you. Let me pray for you first, and Michael's gonna take us through one short song along with his team, and during that, you get a chance to chew on everything that you just heard, because I'll be back in about 90 seconds, but let me pray first. Let's pray together. Father, we invited your Holy Spirit to be at work here. 
We invited you to speak to us and teach us in ways that we can't comprehend on our own without you leading and guiding us. So we bow our heads right now and we come full circle back around to you and ask that you would take the things that were taught, the things that we heard and understood, and you would show us how you want us to respond. So Father, I ask for people, especially right now, that are struggling or thinking that they've never measured up, that you would be especially close to them. Some right now are thinking this is too easy. There's got to be more to it than that. Father, I ask that you'd be near to them as well. In, in the midst of this moment, Father, show yourself powerful. It's in Jesus' name I ask for this. Amen.